save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal some entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by Dynamic Manufacturing. Since 1955, Dynamic Manufacturing has a relentless commitment to quality and customer service when it comes to your automotive needs. They've been named General Motors Supplier of the Year 22 times. And whether it's remanufacturing, machining, electrification, motorsports, and much more, there's nothing Dynamic Manufacturing can't do. Find them on the web at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. And by Raul Jewelers, who offer the finest in rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and much more since 1982. They specialize in custom design, so if you're looking for that right gift, especially during the holidays, head to Raul Jewelers on Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates, and they're on the web at rawljewelers.com. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats. Look for them at polinamarket.com and by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dogs and a landmark institution since 1893. They're located at viennabeef.com. This week we feature longtime Chicago sportscaster and restaurateur, Lou Canellis. George, I was so intimidated by you. I had such great respect for guys like you, Les, Papinkowski, guys I grew up listening to, Shoe. Honest to God, when I, when I would be sitting in a press box with you guys, I felt like King Kong on top of the world, like I had made it. He's been part of the Chicago sports scene for nearly 40 years. From Sports Phone to Michael Jordan, from 190 North to Rant and Rave, from Reverie to Avli, Lou Canellis is living the dream. This native of Oak Lawn has pushed the buttons of many athletes while trying to push good food and entertainment. Quite a combo when you also consider Canellis became a father in his mid-50s. So with that, Lou Canellis, tell me a story I don't know. Oh, man. I'll give you a story, George Hoffman, as you just touched on. An Oak Lawn kid, southwest suburbs, who wakes up every day living the dream. A kid who grew up in the southwest suburbs with a dream to become a sportscaster, actually a dream to be a baseball player that eventually led to being a sportscaster, who wanted to work at sports phone when he was so young that he'd have to stand on the stool in his mother's kitchen to pop the phone into the garbage can so he could grab it. Les Grobstein for Sports Phone, the answer to our quickie quiz. We wanted to know who had the most Cub homers in Atlanta Stadium in 1977. It was Greg Gross with the staggering sum of two. And call 976-1313 to listen to the likes of George Hoffman, Brian Wheeler, Chris Madsen, J.D. Versett, and then eventually work one day with those guys and then just have the greatest career and life because mom and dad, dad a hardworking dry cleaner, mom a hardworking teacher for the Chicago public school system, told him, if you work hard and treat people like you like to be treated, lady luck will follow you in life. And that's been exactly the case. And 57 years later, as you touched on, I'm blessed with a beautiful little daughter who I call my miracle girl. Uh, miracle girl. And, uh, and I have the greatest job in the world. And I just can't say anymore. And it's been the greatest storybook life of one that 
I don't know of, of anyone out there. I don't know if anyone's had a better life than I have. You'd mentioned sports phones. So I think we need an explanation and I'm going to allow you to do that since I worked there back in 19, late 1977 when it first started with Fred Huebner and Ron Gleason and Les Gropstein. So tell everyone probably 40 and under a story they don't know about sports phone. Wow. Sports phone was a guy's dream. Good afternoon, our Bob Stetson, Sheriff for SportsZone. Bottom seven at Wrigley Field. The Giants are tar and feathering the Cubs. They lead 13-3 for more. Here's our own, Pat Bankowski. The Giants have broken through for four more here in the seventh inning and have completely bombed out. We're back with one about four o'clock. Stay with us. You're watching the games and getting behind a microphone and in 58 seconds telling what, an audience of 100,000-plus on college football Saturdays and NFL Sundays, what the scores of those games were? And were most of them the, were gamblers? And most of them were gamblers. I will <laughs> never forget. A great point. I will never forget an appearance made with the sports phone crew at the old Ultimate Sports Bar and Grill in Lincoln Park. I know you're familiar with this. I spot. remember it well. They had a boxing ring in the ultimate sports bar and grill Yep. and sitting in the middle of that boxing ring. And then two hours into it, realizing, oh my gosh, these are the guys that hear me every Saturday and Sunday. I'm just like them. So it's uh, that was sports phone. That to me, that's the easiest, most simplistic way to explain sports phone, George, because back then Obviously, we didn't have iPhones. We didn't have crawls when you watched games that gave you other scores. We had 976-1313. And you could call as I did because let's just say that uh, I played like most of the guys that called. And um, it was a free phone call for guys to get scores every five minutes on the weekends just so you knew where your bet was going. Either it was going your way or it was going the bookies way. It was the start, George, of my career. The first thing I did on radio was Loyola basketball back in 1984. And I worked at the school radio station, which was WLUW back then. It still exists. It is now at the Rogers Park, the Lakeshore campus up in Rogers Park. But all the broadcasting classes at Loyola were downtown at the Water Tower campus. And the student radio station was on the corner of Chestnut and Wabash. And uh, that's where the career started. It was with Loyola basketball and eventually led to the Hancock building where Sports Phone was. That's correct. It was the 31st floor. Now, now think of this for a moment. The people that you worked with, now the people I worked with, I just mentioned them, Ron Gleason, who's still the operations manager at WBBM. Les Grobstein is still doing uh, radio. Fred Hubner is still doing radio. You worked with Jeff Joniak, the voice of the Bears, Chris Bowden. Chris Matson, who for years was the voice of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, Fred, who I just mentioned of ESPN, David Schuster, uh, both of whom I worked with, and there are so many more that I can attest to. This is what happened here. It's what happened in New York. I worked with a fellow named Gary Cohn, whose dream back in the late 70s was to be the voice of the New York Mets, and he still is. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it, listen, in, in all honesty, when I got the gig, I was ready to transfer out of Loyola because I was miserable commuting back and forth from the South side. I played baseball in high school. I was a pretty good baseball player, had some opportunities to play away, uh, play baseball away at, at school and in college. And dad wouldn't let me go. He wouldn't let me take advantage of scholarship opportunities. I was the oldest of three Greek boys. My dad was a dictator. It was not a democracy. And um, when dad said, listen, I have worked my whole life to send my boys to college. It really doesn't matter. Baseball scholarships don't matter. Um, it, it was a real kick in the you know what, because all the guys that I played ball with in high school went away to school. They went away to University of Illinois. They went to Eastern Illinois. They went to Iowa. And 
I really didn't get a taste of what I was missing until I actually went to Charleston one weekend and spent the weekend at Eastern and U of I in Champaign and realized that I was missing partying, girls, good times, being away from my parents. And when I went away to those schools and I saw the guys I played ball with, I said, my God, this is what I'm missing. I came back. Here's a story that you don't know. I came back. Now, remember, my dad was a dictator. I loved him to death. I had the utmost respect for him. He was built like Charles Atlas, working in a laundry for 60 years. His forearms were the size of my thighs because of pulling out all those dirty clothes that were in the washing machines. And I walked in the house and he said, how was the weekend? And I looked at him and I pointed my finger at him and said, you have ruined my life. And went up to my room and frankly thought he was going to come upstairs and I was going to get my rear end kicked for talking to my dad like that. Cause that didn't happen in the Canellas household. And instead he sat on the bed with me and asked me to explain why I had broken down, why I was so upset, and I did. And then he recommended seeing if I could still play baseball away at those schools, which was now impossible because it had been you know, two years since I had played um, competitively. And uh, I was still, I had been accepted to go to the University of Florida and I was going to go to Gainesville to play around and live the college life. And at that point, Brian Wheeler, who I worked with at WLUW, voice of the Trailblazers for 16 years. George backing up. Miller doesn't want to pick. Dame going for the win. A three-pointer for the game. Yeah! Voice of the Loyola Ramblers for 20 years. Lou Canellis' old roommate. But Lou Canellis' classmate at Loyola, Brian recommended I send a tape to Fred Hubner at Sportsphone, and I got hired two weeks before I was supposed to leave for Gainesville. And Dad said, you know what, I'm going to let you make the decision, but if you choose to stay home and take the job at Sportsphone, I will help you get an apartment in the Gold Coast so you can walk to sports phone at the Hancock building and I stayed and uh, the rest is history. You know, truthfully, it's the reason it's one of the big reasons why I've enjoyed the success I've had uh, in my career, because I created my career then starting as a junior in college. One other quick note, one other quick note. I have to let you know this. When I was going to Oaklawn high school, Chuck Swarsky I was the editor of my student newspaper, the Spartan Knight, and the co I was the co-sports editor of the student newspaper with David Wills, Dave, the longtime pregame, between innings, postgame host of the White Sox on AM 1000, who is now the voice of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. The bat almost hit him in the back on that follow through. And the one-two pitch, check swing, blue. Can you believe this? Out towards the left side of the infield and caught over the shoulder by the pitcher, Yarbrough. Dave and I were best friends growing up. Went to kindergarten together, grade school together, Oakland High School together. Lived a block and a half from each other. All right. Dave and I were the co-sports editors. And Swarsk came and spoke to the Spartanite staff. And Swarsk then allowed me to go to WLUP, where he was a sportscaster, and I got to sit in with the Swarsk and watch him do sports with Sky Daniels in Afternoon Drive. Sky Daniels. And that's where I fell in love. I truly fell in love with the business. And the Swarsk told me the three schools that I should, four schools I should consider going to, Syracuse, no way dad was going to let me go to Syracuse, New York. Northwestern, unfortunately, lose grades weren't good enough to get into Northwestern. Ohio U, because he was an Ohio U alum. I wasn't going to go, you know, be a Bobcat. And Loyola, because they had just started this communications program. And ironically, my uncle Nick Cladis was an All-American basketball player at Loyola. And I chose Loyola. So if I was to give anyone credit for getting me into the business, 
it'd be the Swirsk. And then my guys that I worked with at Sports Phone that started back in 1984, that really had me fall in love with the business. Who doesn't love jewelry? Who wouldn't love Rawl Jewelers? Family owned and operated for nearly 40 years, Rawl Jewelers offers the very best in fine jewelry and engagement rings, including mined and lab-grown diamonds. And they utilize the latest technology and offer jewelry repair on the premises. Rawl Jewelers has a glittering array of rings, necklaces, earrings, bracelets, and watches, and offers custom-designed jewelry on the premises. And if you have the most specific questions, Rawl Jewelers has four graduate gemologists on staff. With over 200 years of combined experience and expertise, it's no wonder Rawl Jewelers is one of the leading shops of its kind. This is where my wife and I got our wedding bands many years ago, and it's safe to say, when you walk in as a customer, you're going to leave as a friend. Rawl Jewelers is located at 3001 Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates, right off I-90 West. Rawl Jewelers, when only the very best will do. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We return with Lou Canellis on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. It's really amazing how decisions that you make early can have such a profound impact on your life. There are times, Lou, I can't tell whether you'd rather be a sportscaster or a restaurateur. So far, you've balanced both professions, albeit burning a candle at both ends. So which do you prefer these days? Well, listen, I'm most passionate about my career. I, I, you know, when we started the interview and you asked me, tell me a story I don't know. I mean, truly, George, I am leading I am living out a dream life. I mean, here, I grew up wanting to be the next Tim Weigel. And how fortunate was I that the first spot on local radio was, for me, was on WGN radio. Dan Fabian, I don't know if you remember Dan. Dan was I certainly WGN. do. Lorna Gladstone, who I know you know. Mm-hmm. Lorna was program director. Um, WGN carried Northwestern football and I did the pregame halftime postgame show and Joe McConnell, former voice of the bears, one of the great voices of all time, great voices of all time. And Tim Weigel, I wanted to become the next Tim Weigel. Mike Ditka was sharp of tongue today. Took on Mike McCaskey and Jim McMahon, the Bears' last day in Platteville, one to remember. Jim McMahon mispracticed. He got fined by Mike Ditka. Then Ditka dropped a heavy negotiating chip in Mike McCaskey's lap. It is Thursday, and time, of course, for the widely favored, largely feared Frankfurters of the sports world, the Weigel Wieners. This year's batch is so hot, or this week's batch is so hot, we've got a fire on the field. And what happens with these open flames? Call and then the work alongside Tim, who basically took me in as almost like a surrogate son. And Tim took me under his wing when it came to the broadcasting business. I went to Tim's house for holidays. Tim was a, I, you know, for those that remember Tim, Tim was a concert pianist. I mean, he was phenomenal. I didn't know that. Yes. And I grew up 12 years playing the piano. My mother was a concert pianist herself. So um, I had this incredible relationship with Tim growing up. So, you know, when, when we look back on time at, at time and, and think about what we've been through, there are days where I sit and I look at my daughter and my wife and I go, man, I have lived a storied life. I lived the life that every kid growing up wants to live. Passion. Man, it's my sports career every night. Here, George, you talked about uh, you talked about some of the guys that you work with, Gary Cohen, wanting to be you know a play-by-play guy. I was fortunate in that I did play-by-play college hoops for ESPN for 17 years. Hi, everyone. I'm Lou Canellis inside the queue. What an atmosphere. There is not a seat to be had. There is nowhere to stand. Completely sold out. And why not? The championship. 
is at stake. It was fun, but I didn't have it in my blood. For me, I wanted to be Tim Weigel. I wanted to be Mark Greco. I wanted to be the guy that was in your living room every night, giving you three minutes of sports. That was my dream, and I do it every night on Fox. In a season with their fourth straight win. That's right, but first, Lou is here with the latest on the Bears' COVID outbreak. Lou. Yeah, nothing scary about the Bulls. On the other hand, let's talk about the Bears. Matt Nagy is dealing with plenty of on-the-field adversity and COVID-19 off it. So, man, that's my that's my dream, my passion. The sport, the the, uh, the restaurant thing, That's that's been an offshoot of just, you know, becoming... Uh, a name in in my hometown and and frankly you know what I tell people you know some people will say oh my god the success of Ali is because of you it really isn't Lou Canellis drives people to the restaurant but if the food isn't good and the service isn't mm. great George yep. is going to come back I, I want to continue with the restaurant business which which is a passion of yours as well you've had ups and downs in in what's really a very difficult business. And Avli appears to be a hit. And I confess, as you know, I've been a patron, very satisfied one. Thank you. But Thank it does you. seem to be something that must be making you think how long you're going to be in the sports casting business, or is it? Great question. And, and here's the easy answer. The easy answer is absolutely. It's, it's changed. My career was my life, okay? And I said, man, I would love to do sports on TV and radio till I'm in the, my mid-70s. Then it changed a little bit when Avli took off. Now, you touched on it. You know, I owned the Hunk Club back in the 90s. We had great success with that. I remember that well. 21 years we were open, mm -hmm. dude. In this business, that's unheard of. But I did it as a side gig. It truly was a side gig. I wasn't part of the operation. Then I did another deal. You touched on it, Reverie awful but i don't look at it as oh my god what a horrible seven years of my life i look at it as boy i got a an mba in restaurant ownership with reverie i lost money but i looked at it as a learning experience so when the avli opportunity came up i said to myself one might say, well, why would you do Avli after losing all that money in Reverie? Well, because I felt like I learned through the experience at Reverie. So I did Avli knowing, hey, don't make these same mistakes. And I talked to Rich Melman. I talked to my buddies who own the Boca Group. I talked to guys who have had great success in this business, and they've all failed. I failed at Reverie, but it wasn't a complete disaster because I'm still here to talk about it. I didn't lose my home. I learned from my mistakes. And let's give it a shot now with Avli because I think that there is a market for contemporary Greek in this market. And sure enough, there has been. And it's it's been fun. But I, I also tell people that the reason I have passion about Avli is because we're winning. We're making money. Now, get to get back to your original question, my daughter, Gia, has made me really think about where I want to go with my career. Do I want to spend every night working instead of spending time putting my daughter to bed, reading to her, helping her get through school, going to a recital, going to a dance performance that she might have? My daughter and you mentioned it at the top of the interview. You know, I, I waited till I was in my mid 50s to become a father. So I take fatherhood incredibly seriously. I want to be there for my daughter because my dad wasn't able to be there for me. And that has what has made me rethink really how much longer I want to work. Listen up, OEMs. First impressions are lasting ones. Dynamic Manufacturing's impressive complex in Hillside, Illinois, includes nearly a million square feet of operating space. I had a chance to view some of it, and I was overwhelmed by the organization, technology, and dedicated workforce. Dynamic Manufacturing provides solutions for engineering, manufacturing, machining, and logistics, and they can re-energize your electric and energy storage systems. 
They can machine any project, no matter the size. And when it comes to motorsports, they're your trusted partner for chasing podiums with their custom torque converters. Dynamic Manufacturing is your one-stop for all your remanufacturing needs, and they can't wait to engineer a custom solution for getting maximum value from experienced parts. Dynamic Manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do. Lou Canellis has been affiliated with the Bears for a number of years, whether on pre-, post-, and halftime shows to Sunday night programs with Jeff Joniak to roundtables at CLTV. Halftime back at Soldier Field where the visiting Dolphins lead the Bears 13-3. Welcome to our Advocate Healthcare Halftime Show. I'm Luke Cadellis. Bears running game we know is anchored by David Montgomery who wrapped up last season on a tear with over 800 yards from scrimmage, eight touchdowns the final six games. But if all these ifs come together, they are going to be dominant on defense. Between the two, Anderson and Daniel Manning started 29 games last year and now both are probably going to be in reserve roles. Is this the right thing to do? I think it is, although... You had quite a relationship with the Bulls during their championship runs, and especially Michael Jordan. So, Lou, tell me a story. I don't know what that was like. <laughs> when Jordan was around, chartered the MGM Grand private jet that the Rolling Stones also used. And in the middle of the jet, was the bar area where they would lay out the food after a game. And I sat in that area with Bill Wennington, Arnie Harris. Mm -hmm. Arnie? Of course. Arnie was producing the games on WGN TV at that time. And Dennis Rodman. And I remember looking at Rodman, thinking to myself, how can I stop time? I don't ever want this to end. I want to be able to travel with the greatest team on earth for the rest of my life. They were great days. I was single. I never care in the world. I was traveling with Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson, the 72 win bowls, the six time champs. All right. Having the best time. And can I tell you that I was able to build a relationship with MJ that few in my business have, maybe Ahmad Rashad and, and, and Michael Wilbon. Um, and that was a, a relationship of trust. Fifth game in seven days, back-to-back -back situation. You guys were stronger as the game went on. Explain. Well, we were kind of taking this team for granted to some degree. And it took us a while to get into a rhythm. Phil was trying to allow us some rest, taking us in and out the first half. And the relationship of trust was created by being in situations with those guys and never talking about it and being one of the guys. And I'll give you one quick story that I always like to share with people, and it's PG, so I don't get myself in trouble. We are on a West Coast trip, played an early, early start in Utah in Salt Lake City, I'm pretty sure it was like a 5 p.m. local start, two and a half hour game, 7.30 ends. By the time we got on the plane, it was 8.30. Quick flight to L.A. We get to L.A. at like 9 o'clock. We're staying in the Four Seasons. It was either the Four Seasons or Ritz-Carlton Marina Del Rey. That's where we always stayed. So on every road trip for four years, I went to dinner with Ron Harper. So. We get off the bus in the lobby. I said to Harp, I'll meet you down in five for to eat. And he goes, yeah, we're not going to dinner. MJ's rented four limos. And I said, oh, cool. And I'm invited. And he goes, yeah, come on, meet me down here in 10 minutes. This sounds exciting. Sounds exciting. <laughs> Didn't know where we were going. I was supposed to get together with my cousin, who at that time was an actor in L.A. I go up to my room. I call my cousin. I go, hey, dinner's off. He's like, what do you mean dinner's off? I've been waiting for you. I go, dude, I'm going out with Michael and the guys tonight. He's like, can I go? I go, no, you can't go. So I cancel on my cousin, go downstairs, get into a limo with Harp and Pip. And I have no idea where we're going. All I know is we end up, I'm looking out the window and we're in Century City and we're at a nightclub and we all get out of our limos. Again, there's four limos. So we get out of the cars. 
out of the limos and there's a line down the block to get into this club. There's a stairway on the outside of the club that's going to walk you up to the second floor. So we're all walking towards that. And obviously everyone sees Michael Jordan. They're, they're going bananas. They're going crazy, yelling, screaming, and Pip and, and Ron and all these guys. So we go up the stairs and we go into this area and it's a private area. And there's a table set up for 12 of us. So we sit at this table and about, I don't know, 10, 15 yards away, they have these bleachers set up bleachers like you would sit in at a high school basketball game and the bleachers are overlooking the first floor which is where the dance floor is and where the nightclub is so we're, we're kind of in this vip area but no one else is up there except for our table and this one little guy sitting on the bleachers but it's dark in this club so i can't really i can't see who it is so while we're all sitting at the table I end up finding out that it's Prince. And when the guys would go out with MJ, everyone wanted to do their own thing. So at one point, we're all sitting at the table and everyone, all the other players have left except for Michael and I and George and some of the security guys. And Prince ends up, you know, conversing with Michael. And I thought to myself, now I look back and I go, man, I wish I had an iPhone because no one would believe it. So that was, you know, that was many, one of, one of many stories when you would travel with those guys, obviously they, they were, they were the greatest show on earth. So all the movie stars, music stars would want to come out to see Michael and the guys. And I was just incredibly fortunate to be part of that traveling crew. It was a traveling circus. It really was. I would be remiss not to ask you about Dennis Rodman, a very controversial complicated human being whom you spent a lot of hours with and who was absolutely despised by Bulls fans when he was with the Pistons and mostly loved when he joined the Bulls. And on top of that, Lou, he was a very strange guy. Strange guy, man, but one of the nicest, most giving individuals I've ever met in my life and loyal to a fault. Last summer, I'm at Avli River North, I'm with my daughter, and my phone is ringing, and it said, no caller ID. And I thought to myself, because I've had Dennis call me before on no caller ID, and I thought, is that Rodman? Why, why would he be calling me in June? So I called him, and he said he was at, you know, let's just say he was at a bar in the city where he was able to smoke cigars, and he he said, listen, I came by the restaurant to say hi. You didn't answer. And, and I'm, I'm using this as an example, George, to show you how loyal this guy is, okay, and, and, and what kind of friend he is. Came by. I wanted to support you. You didn't answer. I'm here at this bar now. I'm smoking some cigars. When I'm done smoking some cigars, I'll come over. Eight o'clock at night, so maybe two hours later, Phone rings, no caller ID, pick it up this time. I'm standing on the patio, and you've been there, the patio of Avli River North. I'm standing there, and Dennis said, I'm on my way. I'll be there in five minutes. I've got eight people with me, and you got to find me somewhere I can smoke cigars. And I'm looking at a patio where there's not a seat to be had. There's nowhere for me to see George Hoffman, let alone Dennis Rodman, where he can smoke cigars. And he's with a group of seven. He shows up. He's got Chris Chelios with him. We put him at a table on the sidewalk as far away from everyone as possible. Okay. Because I don't want his cigar smoke to upset my diners. Mm -hmm. And I don't want the place to go crazy that Dennis Rodman's in the house because I want the guy to be able to eat something and sit around and drink and have fun. He's with Bill Smith as well, famed photographer. For yes. So we sit at this table. My chef, who's from Greece, okay, comes up. He's caught wind that Dennis is in the house. Immediately asked Dennis for a, to take a picture. Dennis said, let me eat something and then I'll take all the pictures you want. So Dimitri, my chef, goes back into the kitchen. About 10 minutes later, Dennis said, listen, I've got to use the restroom. How do I get to your restroom? I said, well, you've got to walk through my patio 
where there's, so you got to basically walk by about a hundred people because there's 45 people on the patio. There's another 45 sitting on the sidewalk on Huron there. And he goes, okay, I go, dude, if you get up and go to the bathroom, you're going to get mobbed by people. Because at that time, ironically, last June, the last dance was playing too. So people, their, their memories of Dennis Rodman have been refreshed. And sure enough, he gets up. He, I watch him walk the stairs to get on the patio to get through the restaurant. And he gets mobbed by every table. The guy did not come back to our table for two hours. He two took hours? Pic- he took pictures with every table. <laughs> He sat with people. Wow. He even picked up a tab of seven women. <laughs> and, and, and what people don't know about Dennis is he is that type of guy. He loved being around people. Dennis today, he wouldn't have been as a big a deal because riding around on a motorcycle in a wedding dress. I see crazy stuff like that all the time. I'm not sure we're going to see a whole lot of people riding around on a motorcycle with a wedding dress at this stage, but you never know. You never know. No one, I mean no one, does hot dogs better than Vienna beef. That's because they've been doing them since 1893. Imagine biting into a delicious all-beef Vienna hot dog, dragged through the garden which includes yellow mustard onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and celery salt, and just try that on one of their Polish sausages. Vienna products are available everywhere, from your supermarkets, restaurants, the ballparks, and zoos, just to mention a few, and you can purchase them online at ViennaBeef.com. And look for their farm acres, chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. Ever been to the Polina Market? If not, what are you waiting for? It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meats and much more since 1949. Their steaks are top of the line, but there's also chicken, fish, and those mouth-watering sausages. And you might spend hours just perusing their frozen food section, all made fresh. And now the expanded Polina Market offers beer, wine, and sandwiches. It's become a one-stop shop, making your in-store experience well worth your time. And you can still order online. I've been shopping here since 1984. Paulina Market is simply the best and conveniently located at 3501 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. Check them out on their impressive website at paulinamarket.com. You had a wonderful run at ESPN, including a rather interesting and I'm going to say an ill-fated talk show with a guy named Huge. Care to share a memory or two? Oh, my God. Bill Simonson. Wow. So, number one, I was the first voice on ESPN Radio, period. Not only ESPN Radio Chicago, the first voice for ESPN Radio around the country, because I'll never forget doing the first update at 5 o'clock, 5 a.m. Chicago time on the launch of ESPN Radio. And I did the show with Tony Bruno and Mike Golick. I remember hating, I mean, hating George getting up at 2.30 in the morning. I just, I, I, I couldn't stand it. I, 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 the hours just didn't, you know, at that time I was single. I couldn't run around like I used to. So I did mornings and I remember talking to Mitch Rosen, who was my boss. And I said to Mitch, dude, I, I'm just not sure that this is working. And we were about six months into it, maybe eight months into it. And they were looking at making a change. They brought Bill in from, I want to say he was in Austin, Texas, before Chicago. And they brought Bill in to work nights. And they said, what about if we have you and Bill Simonson work together in afternoon drive? I'm like, hell yeah, I'll take those hours any day of the week. You mean I get to week, you know, sleep until nine, wake up, read the paper, talk about what I read from two to six, and then go hang out at the hunt club all night? I'm all in for that gig. This guy was a load. Again, an unbelievable talent. I learned how to drive a talk show thanks to Bill. But that's what, you know, his personality is what made him a great talk show host. Whether you liked him or not, listen, the guy had opinions and that's why it worked. And that's why he's still working in the business. That's why he's syndicated throughout the state of Michigan. 
And, you know, Bill had a tough time in Chicago because prior to Chicago, Bill's, the markets Bill worked in were, were smaller markets. Mm -hmm. So he was, he was accustomed to being the big fish in the small pond. And now he came to Chicago, which is obviously one of the top three markets. And he had a tough time here. Um, it didn't work out, unfortunately, because I had great fun with Bill. Um, was it a load to deal with his personality? Absolutely. But I have the, I have more respect for Bill Simonson as a talk show host than anyone I've worked with. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Zone. I'm Luke Cadellis. Nice enough to join us tonight on the show. My old partners from my sports phone days, from ESPN Radio, Fred Hubner, and the savvy veteran who used to be at The Score and WBBM Radio, George Hoffman. And George has a podcast as well. It's called Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. And Georgie, I told you plenty of stories you didn't know, right? Right. And now let me tell you a story you don't know about Lou and I. It's late October 1988, and I return from a wedding in Springfield, Massachusetts, and I really don't need a plane to fly back because I think I just met the woman of my dreams. I really don't want to tell anyone until after our first official date, which would be in about three weeks in Boston. So Betsy lives in Rhode Island. So here I am at the Bears weekly Monday press conference with Mike Ditka, which you and I know was a can't-miss event, and Lou looks at me and says something along the lines of, you look like you're a million miles away. I think Lou had this second sense when it comes to the opposite sex. So I spilled the beans to him. And I, I said, listen, I, I, I met someone really special. And you were the only one to know about Betsy until I had that first date. You know, and, and I'm honored. And, and let me say this about George Hoffman. George, I was so intimidated by you. I had such great respect for guys like you, Les, Papinkowski, guys I grew up listening to. Shu, honest to God, when I, when I would be sitting in a press box with you guys, I felt like King Kong on top of the world, like I had made it. Because I grew up listening to you guys on sports phone. Or listening to less with Larry Lujak and Tommy Edwards. I mean, so so to be sitting next to you and having you confide in me, okay, that you had just met this special woman. And I hadn't met my special woman yet. Heck, I didn't get married to my wife until I was 40. I was 39. So I knew you were different. I knew something had happened. And to have you, a guy who I had incredible respect for, who intimidated the hell out of me in this business, okay, who I wanted to be my friend, to have you confide in me like that, that was special for me. And it still is special for me. I look back at this, this fantasy path I'm on that I live every day is going to come to an end sometime soon. And while I love meeting new people, and I truly do, it's one of the greatest things of owning a restaurant, I look back at the people that I've met and I'm still friends with, and that's what I cherish most. Mm -hmm. So friendships with guys like you or Tom Kelly, those friendships are priceless. So when you shared that with me, that was a special moment. And it's still a special moment. Every time I see you, how's Betsy, right? That's right. All the time. Because you, you lived something that I hadn't lived yet. I'm like, man, I hope I have that look at some point in my life. I might not, and I'm okay with that. I was, I would have been fine being single forever, because I, I was, I loved being single in my hometown. Being on TV, radio, are you kidding me? It's the greatest thing in the world. A Chicago kid, think about this, who grew up on the South Side, doing sports every night. People know who I am. I can get in the restaurants and nightclubs. People know who. I, that's you know, that's the greatest gig one could ever have. It's better than doing network TV. It's I don't want to go to New York. Hell, I want to be in Chicago. This is my hometown with my homies. To 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 share that with guys like you and to see, you know, a woman like Betsy bring you the happiness she did. And then eventually for me, my wife Monica, you know, I was blessed. Well, I'd like to save the best for nearly last. So tell me a story I don't know. Why a guy in his early 50s decides he wants to be a dad 
and gets to be one at 55. Take me through this rather delicate and complicated story with you and Monica. I don't really find it to be delicate. And I'll tell you why, because I want to tell the world. And I want to tell the world because my wife, when I met her, was upfront and honest and told me she couldn't have kids. And I said, no big deal. I'm not sure I want to have kids. And, you know, I'm in love with you. I remember Monica saying, you're sure you don't want to adopt? You're sure that you don't want to go down any other avenues? Because as a woman, I'm going to put out of my mind being a mother. And I said, I'm sure we're not going to have kids. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to travel the world. We'll be the greatest aunts and uncles around, but we won't have kids. My old roommate, Mike Pease, who I lived with on Oak Street between Clark and LaSalle, we lived together 11 years. We had a home and we were co-owners of the Hunt Club together. So we, and we, we had a number of businesses that we invested in together. Um, Mike had, became a father. And I never thought that Mike would take fatherhood seriously. And I was oh so wrong. And I watched him become the greatest father, and he is still the greatest father to his son, Thompson. I am his godfather, Thompson's godfather. And I said, a light went on at the age of 50, George. And I said, oh, my gosh, I want to be a dad. And I approached my wife, and she broke down, and she said, that shit passed. I, I put that out of my mind. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I so badly want to be a dad. You know, I can't leave my wife because I love my wife. We get along great, but I really want to be a dad. What am I going to do? And true story, I don't tell this to many people. I'm getting ready to leave for spring training. And spring training typically occurs on my birthday, February 19th. Monica, the day before I'm leaving, hands me a gift. And I put it in my bag and she goes, no, I want you to open it. And I said, no, you know how I am about opening up gifts before my actual birthday. She said, it's not a birthday gift. And I said, oh, okay. And I opened it up and Jimmy Fallon wrote a book called Dada. And she said, let's go for it. And I will forever be indebted to my wife because this was my idea for us to go through the process of having a baby girl. And because Monica couldn't have kids, we used an egg donor. We then used a surrogate carrier who lived in Abilene, Texas. The process for anyone that's been through it is long and expensive, but there was no dollar amount in the world that was going to stop me from going down this path and at least trying. And when we had our surrogate come to Chicago and she was given the embryo, there was a song going on in the doctor's office that was the same song that my wife and I danced to at our wedding. It was our first song. And I remember thinking, I think this is gonna work. And sure enough, we were blessed with baby Gia and, you know, at the age of 54, I had my daughter and she's going to keep me young. She makes me focus on things in my life that I never focused on before because I want to live until I'm 100, 110, because I want to be around her forever. So you said save the best for last. And I want the world to know what we went through because I can't tell you how many strangers, George, have called me, emailed me, stopped me on the street on Michigan Avenue to tell me how inspiring our story was in the Tribune because they're older parents and some of them are single and they had given up on parenthood. And after reading our story, it gave them hope to still move forward. I ask this final question to all my guests, Lou, if not for sports, not for the restaurant business, what would you have been? Probably a dry cleaner. I would have taken over my dad's family business. But my dad, bless his soul, 
used to say, I want you to chase your dream because he wasn't able to. His dad unexpectedly passed away and his mother asked him to run the dry cleaners. So he was never able to, in his opinion, take advantage of his master's degree from the University of Chicago. And he, he wanted me to do what he was never able to do. Thank you, Lou Canellis, for telling me a story I don't know. Thank you, George, for having me. My thanks to Fox 32, WLS-TV, the late and great sports phone, and the late and great CLTV, Tampa Bay Rays Radio, and Portland Trailblazers TV for those wonderful highlights. And thanks as always to TJ Reeves for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his deft editing and mixing, and Nicholas Tochi for our graphic designs. And to our generous sponsors, Dynamic Manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do, and Raul Jewelers, top jewelers in the northwest suburbs on Barrington Road and Hoffman Estates. Come in as a customer, leave as a friend. Also, the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats and much more, and by the Vienna Beef Company, home of Chicago's hot dog and an institution since 1893. Tune in next week for another fascinating episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.